0: So here we go with a, a Q&A session with Chris Norton, Egyptologist, writer, president of the International Association of Egyptology, as we established elsewhere. And if you want to hear Chris talking about his book about looking for uh, what is out there still uh, in Egypt, then you can find that on another uh, podcast. If you just go back to where you got this from, everything is downloadable from there. But here is uh, Chris's Q&A session. The last book, Chris, that you really, really enjoyed. <laughs> um,
1: I, I I kind of feel like I really, really, really enjoy everything that I read. But the thing that stands out f- for me from the last year or so, you might be surprised to hear, is a book called um, The KLF Ka- Chaos Magic and the Band That Burned a Million Pounds um, oh, yes. by John Higgs. Um, a- an amazing story of uh, an extraordinary pair of individuals um, and whether or not what they were doing was art or maybe even magic. Um, magic? Yeah, his book bu- yeah, bu- kind of... Um, talks about what the purpose of burning a million pounds and what the purpose of lots of other kind of curious things that they did, quite aside from writing and producing some pretty catchy singles
0: uh, I was, remember, was I introduced them on top of the pops a couple of times oh, did you really yes oh, wow. um yeah, how would it be magic though I don't get the magic bit what so he he suggests that
1: um there are kind of themes which run through everything um, that I think it's Bill Drummond in particular was doing right back from the early days of Echo and the Bunny men So there was, a, you know, Echo and the Bunnymen had this idea of this sort of echo in this rabbit, which then supposedly spontaneously appeared in the cover artwork for one of Echo and the Bunnymen's early albums. And um, if you tie all these threads together um, based on things that he did then, later in the KLF, and then the burning of the, the million pounds thing, there are there these... Um, Uh, There are these ideas which exist in a kind of counterculture related to a load of literature, the situationist movement in Paris in the 1920s, I think it was. Um, And the, the whole book sort of dives into this sort of bizarre esoteric world of almost kind of a, a alternate reality that they were trying to tap into. But well, it also admits at the end of it that maybe, you know, maybe this in itself is all an illusion. Actually, and they were just hmm. they were just messing with this.
0: Yes. Well, when they were doing um, Doctor in the TARDIS on top of the pubs, it didn't feel as though it was an amazingly artistic statement. No. <laughs> <anyway>. <laughs> did you introduce that one? I think I probably did. Yes. <laughs> uh, your favourite historian. Um, actually, quite
1: a lot of stuff that I've read recently is to do with um, artists and art, one way or another. And although I guess, strictly speaking, he's an art critic. I've, I've read a lot by Martin Gayford recently. So, uh, a book called *The Yellow House* on Van Gogh's time with Gauguin in um, uh, in South of France, uh, and another book called *Modernists and Mavericks*, which is about London painters. So they're you know they're kind of art books, but they're history books too, um, which I've really enjoyed. Okay.
0: Uh, your favourite explorer? A question I've never asked before. Do you have, <laughs> do you have someone who has gone before you, uh, and you're thinking they did it right? I would like to be like them. Um,
1: well, I mean, I, I guess lots of I've got lots of heroes from from sort of archaeology and exploration, oh, and, and um, with it, without making this into too much of a plug, I'm currently working on another book, um, which is at the moment called Egyptologist Notebooks, which is all about looking into the notes, drawings, letters, plans, maps, scribblings, doodles made by Egyptologists in the process of gathering all the knowledge and uh, objects and doing all the digging that eventually leads us to the understanding we have now. Among those, there's a guy called Robert Hay, who was active in Egypt in the 1820s and 1830s um, and made it his mission to go through Egypt, through the, through the Nile Valley, into the deserts, copying as much of the monuments as he could uh, with, with a view to making making his copies available to scholarship so that people could begin to get their teeth into hieroglyphic inscriptions. And he he left something like 50 folios worth of the most beautiful drawings and paintings. And then through a combination of running out of money and running out of energy and enthusiasm, just never published them. Um, oh, right. <laughs> and uh, okay. he did all this great work. And uh, so... The f- fact that he never quite finished it off is maybe not a good reason for him to be a hero, but i i love the uh, i love the endeavour. The work is incredible, uh, and I'm hoping we might be able to sort of restore him to. What's his uh, name again? Robert Hay. Robert Hay.
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh, is there a book that you would like to step inside of? I guess this is his world creation, fiction particularly. particular. Yeah,
1: um, I don't read a lot of fiction, but funnily enough. Um, Listening to one of your earlier podcasts, actually, um, I I was reminded for some reason of a book I read as a kid called The Giants of Universal Park, which is by Fred and Jeffrey Hoyle. Um, uh, And I I remember all of that because it was the kind of book that I read when I was about eight years old, over and over and over and over again. And it's a kind of science fiction book about... uh, I guess a kind of Doctor Who style sort of elderly scientist who well, does... Fred Holland, an astronomer? Yes, exactly, yeah. I think I think Fred was an astronomer. His, it, Jeffrey was maybe his son. Uh, and I can remember my mum saying to me, oh, yeah, well, this would be a good book because, you know, he's a, he's a real scientist and, you know, so he'll know what he's talking about. Uh, and in it, the, the elderly kind of science character lights a pipe, glows pink, there's an explosion, and they're transported to an alien planet, Um and it's like I say, it's just beautifully illustrated. And I, I, I must have probably read that by a torchlight okay. as a kid. And, All right,
0: we'll say that. what's it called again. Uh, the Giants of Universal Park. Wow, <laughs> not one you know. Um, how long? How long would you give a book? I don't know if this is different if you're in academia, but if you're let's let's say it's a novel or it's a biography or it's something that you've you've picked up that you don't have to read for work. But how long would you give it? Do you have a, a cut off after a couple of chapters, hundred pages? Well, I'm a really, really
1: slow reader actually and also uh, I guess easily distracted in my reading so I tend to have at least about half a dozen books on the go at a time um, I hate to not finish a book um, but there are books that will sort of you know I'll get two or three chapters into and then they just go on pause for quite
0: a long time. And then and then you chuck them away in six months. I should
1: probably be more ruthless than I am actually um, but like I say I really hate to not finish things and because I'm such a slow reader I kind of feel like I, you know, I haven't finished them because I'm useless and slow not because I've decided I don't like them okay.
0: Are there books that stand out from your childhood either that you read yourself or that were read to you? Um,
1: yeah lots I, I can remember being read The Lion, The Witch and The Wardrobe for the first time and then again when my sister was old enough to be in on that um, I loved everything by Roald Dahl um, I would have been about six I think when the BFG came out and uh, there is a story I don't remember this but there is a story in my family of me you know announcing myself in the living room and reading a part of it aloud to the assembled uh, people so so I guess those in particular the the BFG my my copy of that from childhood is knackered and it's called stuff. When you
0: say you announced yourself do you mean you kind of walked in and Demanded everybody stop what I, they were doing. And yes, I think so. Like I say, I don't remember it, but I think the
1: idea is that I, I was sort of proud of the fact that I could read, you know, at all. I'm sort of five or six or something at this point, and that I was going to show that I could do this by reading this book. Precocious child. Okay. Yeah, maybe.
0: Um, best film adaptation from novel to movie. Um, maybe not the maybe not
1: the greatest bit of cinema of all time, but high fidelity. Uh, is the one that I, I thought of. I think because um, the Nick Hornby book. Exactly. Yeah. I hate to admit this in this company, but as an Arsenal fan from uh, oh. from a, from childhood, uh, I was very. I felt a strong sense of identity with um, his previous book, Fever Pitch, and so. Uh, and also as a massive music fan, then when High Fidelity came out, I sort of thought, Oh my god, this is. Yeah, you know, I, I, I felt I a very strong kind of uh, identification with uh, with Nick Hornby, and I was really worried about the film adaptation, knowing it was being made in America, set in America. I just thought this is going to ruin all the things that, you know, that I, I, or a lot of the sort of circumstances of the book that I liked. Uh, and if anything, I think the film, the John
0: Cusack film, is is better than the book. It's great. Yeah, it it is. Uh, and more successful than Arsenal at the moment. <laughs> the and, yes. uh, just on the side of film adaptations, though, Presumably, your heart as an Egyptologist, your heart must sink most time. A pharaoh, or a, a or a pyramid, or anything to do with that is is portrayed in a movie. Yeah,
1: I think it's an affliction actually. In that um, you spend all this time familiarizing yourself with the way that things look in particular. So. Um, l- I mean, it's, ama- it's amazing, but the Egyptians, um, hier- hier- you know, there's something like 40 different bird signs in, in hieroglyphs. And they can look different depending on, who, you know, which scribe is is involved or, you know, what the surface is. Um, but they all have particular characteristics that allow them to be identifiable and distinguishable. And that's obviously quite a careful sort of thing. And, you know, it takes a long time to be able to recognize all these different birds. A lot, a lot of sort of banging your head on a, on a desk in a dusty university um, building. Uh and then when you see something like Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is just terrible for that, it's just really hard to watch you let, the you film. You've got to let go of all that knowledge you there. Have, and just go uh, you, the yeah, yeah, you have. It, but like I say, I, mean, I feel like it's an affliction because it's really difficult to switch that off.
0: When was the last time you used a public library?
1: If if I'm allowed to have the British Library, then very yeah. recently. Okay. If we're talking nice. about a municipal library, then
0: long time ago. Is there a hidden gem of a place where you do lots of research? Um...
1: I'm mostly, I mostly, I mostly work at home. But, but when I, but thinking about this, I, I, I mean, there was sort of, there have been moments, snatched moments, coffee shops and trains, probably mostly, where even if it's only for five minutes, I just hit the zone, and a few hundred words come out all in one go without needing much sort of tweaking. And so there's no one magic place really. But, you know, I feel like most of, most of the rest of my writing just sort of happens in a mm-hmm. slow, carefully sort of constructed way. But those little magical moments are never are never when you're in the right place that, you know, that I'm always having to sort of dart in somewhere, open the laptop up and bang the keys for a Is bit.
0: there a book that always cheers you up? Um,
1: on my Kindle, I have um, the collected writings of Stuart Lee. That makes me laugh. Um, or a, a, a collection of his observer columns and A.A. Gill's autobiography. Actually, one of the I think one of the great things about um, uh, Kindle, other e-readers that are available, um, is that you can highlight certain passages and very easily go to them. And I, I tend to highlight things that are funny and go back to them. So A.A. A. Gill and surely
0: And is there an author? I don't know. Are you on Twitter? I am. Yes. And is there okay? Is there an author or historian or Egyptologist or? Archaeologist who you would recommend that we should follow? Um, there are
1: lots who are very good um, if I had to pick one I would say a good friend of mine, Matthew Lyons who's a history writer um, uh, just writes lots of different things and it's, it's just very one of those people who's just very good at promoting other people's. very generous in promoting retweeting other people's work and um, so I get a lot of uh,
0: a lot of British history a lot of kind of Tudor and later you know, stuff from, okay. from his account. What's his name again? Matthew Lyons. Okay, let's follow him. Uh, thank Please you very do. much indeed, uh, Chris Norton. Appreciate your time. Thank you, thank very, you much. very much for having me. Uh, fascinating subject, fascinating guy. Uh, in Search of the Lost Tombs of Egypt is out now. Uh, thanks to Chris. And if you'd like to get in touch and let us know what you think of the podcast, as long as it, you're praising us, because we don't want it to be nagged, thanks very much. We get enough of that elsewhere. So if you uh, you can leave us a review on iTunes, that would be a fantastic thing. Uh, and if you want to get in touch and talk about the books that are exciting in your life, books the at yahoo and you can tweet us at books of the year.